Chapter Five of A Fleet in Being by Rudyard Kipling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. So home, blown through and through with fresh air, sore with hanging on to the car and laughing at nothing, to dine with two cruiser captains aboard one of the big fleet rams. My hosts had been friends since their Britannia days. It is this uniformity of early training that gives to the navy its enduring solidarity and one reminiscence leading to another i listened enchanted to weird yarns in which chinese mandarins west coast nigger chiefs archimandrites turkish pashas calabrian counts dignity balls chilean beachcombers and all the queer people of the earth were mingled but it's a lonely life a lonely life said one i've commanded a ship since eighty something and you see how could one help seeing between the after cabins and the rest of the world with very few exceptions lies the deep broad gulf that is only overpassed by sentries signalmen and subordinates entering with reports a light tap a light foot a doffed cap and rounds all correct sir then the silence and the loneliness settle down again beyond the hanging red curtain in the white steel bulkhead herman melville has it all in white jacket but it is awesome to see with bodily eyes sometimes the talk gets serious and the weather-bitten faces discuss how they would work her in a row each delivers his opinion with side digs at his neighbour less heavily armoured or more lightly gunned but the general conclusion which i shall not give is nearly always the same it is a terrible power that they wield these captains for saving the admiral there is no one that can dictate to them in the exercise of their business they make their ships as they make or unmake the careers of their men yet mark how providence arranges an automatic check it is in the navy that you hear the wildest and freest adjectives of any service the most blistering characterization of superiors the most genuinely comic versions of deeds that elsewhere might be judged heroic a service of humorists things are all too deadly serious and important for any one to insult by taking seriously every branch of the service is forced to be a humorist in spite of itself and by the time men reach the rank of captain the least adaptable have some saving sense of fun hammered into them a captain remembers fairly well what song the midshipmen were used to singing about the lieutenant what views he held in his own lieutenancy of his commander and what as a commander he thought of his captain if he forgets these matters as in heat on lonely stations or broken with fever some men do then god help his ship when she comes home with a crop of court-martials and all hands half crazy but to go back to methods of attack you can hear interesting talk among the juniors when you sit on a man's bunk of an afternoon surrounded by the home photographs with the tin bath and the shore-going walking-sticks slung up overhead they are very directly concerned in war for they have charge of the guns and they speculate at large and carelessly we i speak for our cruiser are not addicted to swearing in the words of the torpedo lieutenant because we do not carry those fittings but we do all devoutly believe that it is the business of a cruiser to shoot much and often see note three what follows is of course nonsense 
the merest idle chaff of equals over cigarettes but rightly read it has its significance the first thing to do says authority aged twenty-one is to be knocked silly by concussion in the conning tower then you revive when all the other chaps are dead and win a victory off your own bat a la illustrated papers wake up in haslar a month later with your girl swabbing your forehead and telling you you've wiped out the whole fleet catch me in the conning tower not much says twenty-three those bow guns of yours will stop every shot that misses it and the upper bridge will come down on you in three minutes don't see that you're any better off in the waist you'd get the funnels and ventilators and all the upper fadumdlims on top of you anyhow is the retort we're a lot too full of wood even with our boats out of the way the poop's good enough for me says twenty-four that is his station fine light airy place and we can get our ammunition handier than you can forward what's the use of that says he in charge of the bow guns you've got those beastly deck torpedo tubes just under you fancy a whitehead smitten on the nose by one little shell you'd go up so'd you she'd blow the middle out of herself if they took those tubes away we could have a couple more four inches there there'd be heaps of room for their ammunition in the torpedo magazine guns and torpedoes we are blessed with a pair of deck torpedo tubes which weigh about ten tons and are the bane of our lives our class is a compromise and the contractors have generously put in a little bit of everything but public opinion except the gunner is unanimous in condemning those dangerous and hampering tubes torpedoes are all rot on this class unless they're submerged two more four inches would be a lot better they're as handy as duck guns i say did you see that last shrapnel of mine burst over the target i laid it myself twenty-three looks round for applause but the other guns deride that's all luck says twenty-one irreverently mine burst just beyond it would have been dead right for an end-on shot it would have snifted her just on the engine-room hatch sound place that it mixes up the engines mahan says somewhere that broadside firing is going to pay with our low freeboards because most shots go wrong in elevation of course broadside on a shell that misses you misses you clean it don't go hoppin along your upper works as it would if you were end on oh i meant my shot for an end on shot of course says twenty one and some one promptly sits on him bearing in a gale no says twenty four meditatively what we really want if we ever go into a row is weather lots of it good old gales regular smellers then we could run in and beak em while it's thick i believe in beaking that belief by the way is curiously general in the navy do you mean to say you'd ram with a tea-tray like ours i'm glad you aren't the skipper i interrupt oh he'd beak like a shot if he saw his chance of course he wouldn't beak anything our size it'd be cheaper to hammer her but take the blank he named a ship that does not fly our flag if you got in on her almost anywhere she'd turn turtle and she cost about a million and a quarter it's just a question of l s d and what'd we do afterwards please ah that's our strong point what happened when that collier drifted down on us at milford it only improved our steaming power didn't it we're a regular honeycomb of compartments forward 
i believe you could swipe off twenty foot of her forward and she'd get home somehow says an expert enthusiastically bit risky says twenty one that ship you talked of is awfully plated up topside but all her underpinnings are pretty weak if you could lob in a few shell under some of those forward sponsons of hers i believe she'd crumple up with the weight of her own guns but sorrowfully you'd need a nine point two to do that properly beak her beak her catch her in a gale coming out of harbour the speaker named the very port it takes their people a week to get their tummies straight yes but they never come out of harbour at least they didn't in the old days and if they do we shan't be allowed a look in we shall be used for scouting coaling all day and steaming all night but we want those deck tubes taken out all the same i'd like target practice every week says another say four times our present allowance of practice ammunition it'd wear the guns out but it'd pay and so the talk goes on varying with each ship some of them are all for torpedoes and have submarine vaults the size of a small church devoted to this game but we being what we are are mainly for guns and the gunner who is in charge of the torpedoes has a hard time of it when he runs his quarterly trials a beautiful thing says he as the silver-coloured devil flops from the tube and tears away towards the mark well i'm blowed the torpedo has sheered away to the left and now is poisoning the air with its garlic-scented holmes light fifty yards from the target what did i tell you says some one sotto voce we could have got in a dozen shots from the four-inch while you were touching off that boomerang they'd hang you on the blank if you laughed at torpedoes i wouldn't if ours were submerged but with these deck tubes one never knows how they'll take the water that thing must have canted as it fell the gunner looks grieved to the quick but is presently consoled by a few score pounds of gun cotton and goes off with grapnels and batteries to practice sweeping and creeping at the mouth of the bay with a few score other boats they mine and countermine expeditiously in the channel fleet the process is a technical one and need not be described here for there is no necessity to make public either the area covered with mines or the time it took to lay them the gunner returned with a detailed account and some fish that had been stunned by concussion it was a nice little show he said a very nice little show did you happen to see our smoke i had seen one end of bantry bay ripped up from its foundations but did not inquire farther man and arm boats many things are impressive and not a few terrifying in the fleet but the most impressive sight of all is the swift casting forth from the trim black sides of the instruments and ministers of death they vary hourly according to the taste and fancy of the speller a wisp of signals floats from the flagship our little cruiser erupts boils like a hive and some one takes out a watch there is a continuous low thunder of bare feet a clatter always subdued of arms snatched from the racks a creaking of falls and blocks and the noise of iron doors opening and shutting of a sudden the decks stand empty the maxims have gone from the bulwarks and the big cutters are away pulling mightily for the flagship from each one of our twelve neighbours pour forth the silent crowded boats they cluster round the flag are looked over and return they are not merely boats with men in them they are fully provisioned 
the larger ones have boat guns the smaller maxims with a proper allowance of ammunition and spare parts medical chests and all the hundred oddments necessary for independent action all or any one of them can be used at once for patrol work or for landing parties can be switched off from the main system as a light engine is switched off up a siding each unit is complete and self-contained in ten minutes the boats are back again the maxims replaced the rifles stacked and racked the provisions and water returned to store the ordinary routine of man and arm boats is over landing parties another signal see note four will turn out transport land embark and disembark three thousand armed men with twenty-one field guns in the inside of three hours leaving six thousand men in the ships to carry on if necessary the work of a bombardment or you can vary the program and load a mere thousand or so into eight identical double-funneled fifteen-knot steam launches one from each battleship and play miniature fleet maneuvers to your heart's content they are as used to performing evolutions together as are their big parents they can tow half a dozen cutters apiece and work in four feet of water as an experiment you can land your twenty-one field guns with sufficient men to throw up earthworks round them or you can yoke men to the guns and drag them up the flanks of mountains or as in mining operations you can turn loose all hell with a string to it pay it out and swiftly drag it back again one never wearies of watching the outrush and influx of the landing parties the swift flight of the boats the minutes check at the beach the torrents of blue and red pouring over the bows and the loose-knit line of mingled red and blue winding away inland among the boulders and heather long practice so perfectly conceals art that the thing presents no points of the picturesque makes no noise calls for no more comment than the set of the waves before a prevailing wind only when you go over certain m s books giving the name station and duties of every man aboard under all conceivable contingencies do you realize how wheel works within wheel to the ordered effortless end superior and adequate persons you can disarrange the clockwork as much as you please but the surviving cogs and ratchets will still go on and finish the job for i do honestly believe that if any accident removed from the fleet every single commissioned officer the warrant and petty officers would still carry on with resource and fertility of invention till properly relieved the public is apt to lump everything that does not carry the executive curl on its coat-sleeve as some sort of common sailor but a man of twenty-five years sea experience cool temperate and judgmatic such an one as the ordinary warrant officer is a better man than you shall meet on shore in a long day's march his word is very much law forward he knows his men if possible better than the officers he has seen tried approved and discarded hundreds of dodges and tricks in all departments of the ship at a pinch he can wring the last ounce out of his subordinates by appeals unbefitting for an officer to make by thrusts at pride and vanity which he has studied more intimately than any one else hear him expounding his gospel to a youth who does not yet realize that the navy is his father and his mother and his only aunt jemima go out with him when he is in charge of a cutter listen to him in the workshop in the flats forward 
between the pauses of practice firing or up on the booms taking stock of the boats and you will concede that he is a superior and an adequate person yes i suppose it's all very nice said one of them while i applauded and admired some manoeuvre that he did not trouble to raise an eyelid for but just think what we could do if we had the men all together for three years steady as it is we're practically a training squadron when we get back to plymouth they'll snatch a hundred of our best men and turn em over to the mediterranean and we'll have to take up a lot of new ones the mediterranean have got the better trained men but they haven't our chances of working together but the men are trained when you get em surely yes but you get the same lot in one ship all through her commission and you put a polish on em p q two cried a signalman that was a well-known message it meant get into your boats as fast as you know how and pull round the fleet the men leaped on to the nettings and fell outboard like dolphins that shows it said the warrant officer with a sniff look at that man crawling into his place to me he seemed to be flying our first boat ought to be away in fifteen seconds it was quite thirty before the last drew clear there go the arrogance his face darkened was it possible that the tip-tilted hog-backed cruiser had we're well first away said a lieutenant hm we ought to have been more previous said the warrant officer the arrogance nearly beat us we love the arrogant but we do not allow her to lead if we can help it a tale worth telling another time we were not so lucky the tale is worth telling to show a how one is at the mercy of one's subordinates and b how there is no excuse in the navy at odd hours chiefly in the black night the admiral feeling lonely calls up one boat from each ship to his gangway and the signal which we will label t b k reads cutter to flagship from each ship third-class cruisers to send whaler warned by experience the first lieutenant whom it is not easy to catch napping had the whaler's crew sleeping all handy by where one order would send them out like fly-stung cattle a cutter requires about three times as many men and on a small cruiser one cannot keep these together enter then at eleven forty five p m a zealous signalman with the words cutter to the flagship in his haste he had omitted to read the conclusion of the signal vouchsafing us the whaler and this was his black error told no one that it was t v k which would have explained the situation no he needs must say cutter so cutter it was after the men had been variously dug out of their hammocks and the heavy boat got away the flagship wanted to know why we were several scandalous minutes behind our time it was a direct reflection on the ship and its smartness a galling and unanswerable wigging that makes men dance and swear with rage we could only have said that the signal was misread which would not have helped us in the least so we shut our mouths and killed the signalman next morning his own chief the hawk-nosed yeoman of signals flung him bound to the executioner saying he ought to have known sir he ought to have known so he was boiled scraped and sandpapered his hair was cut and his number was taken after which he went forward and heard precisely what the lower deck thought of him then a visiting captain's galley hanging on to the gangway rubbed it in gracefully and casually and a fat beef-boat condoled with us ironically and the whaler see note five heard all about it next time she went sailing without an officer in the stern-sheets 
it was most annoying but can't you see how easily this sort of accident may happen end of chapter five